Welcome to another episode of Fireside Football presented by Empire Sports Media. You're here with Brendan and Dylan. Dylan, man, it has been a while since we did one of these together. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? You know, we had a little bit of readjusting with, uh, you know, you going off to college, you know, life moving forward, and uh, now we're back. Um, Alex stepped in for me and did a phenomenal job, and yeah, really excited to uh, get back and start talking about this NFL season, which is already off to a hot start. So how are you, Brendan? Doing well. You know, senior year of college, this NFL season has definitely made it a little bit less stressful, a little uh, more things to look forward to during the week, but let's get on right into it. So, you know, through the first two weeks, there were some surprises, some stuff people expected, and I mean, above all, man, these injuries, especially week two, were just devastating. They plagued the league. Many teams were affected, and I mean, it's just not something you want to see. But we'll get to those injuries as we get to those teams. I think we should start with the AFC West. Obviously, the Chiefs are 2-0, and and they beat Houston Week 1. And though they had a tough game against the Chargers. The Chargers are 1-1, one one, but, I mean, Justin Herbert stepped in in Week 2 against the Chiefs. And, you know, apparently he was told, what, 5 to 10 seconds or minutes or something before the game that he would be starting. And... I don't know about you, but I think for a first NFL star with that little of notice, I mean, he played really well. Yeah, I was very impressed by Herbert. I actually thought the um, the way he stepped up was admirable. I thought he was firing bullets like he was a pro quarterback for the last 10 years. He looked refined. He looked like a leader. And, I mean, obviously, I hope Tyrod Taylor gets better. Apparently, he got a lung punctured by their uh, phenomenal team doctor out there in L.A., but hopefully uh, he gets better. But for the time being, and maybe for the long, long-term future, I mean, Herbert looked phenomenal. And if you can stay competitive with the reigning Super Bowl champions, that's something to say about the Chargers team. So, good game for the Chargers, and also great, great debut game for Justin Herbert. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if the Chargers have... A competitive quarterback and Justin Herbert to pair with I mean they have a very good defense if they can pair a good quarterback with that great defense they definitely have something coming uh, but yeah I mean Tyrod Taylor out of all the injuries that happened this past week you hear one about you know a team starting quarterback accidentally getting a lung punctured by a team doctor while trying to what he's trying to like kill pain sources by his ribs or something and I mean that's just that's awful that's uh that's the 2020 year for you so, as with the rest of that division, the Raiders are 2-0. and They have looked, I think, very good. Um, they haven't looked like they're a top-five team, though. Um, but, I mean, a very impressive win against the Saints. I don't know. How did you feel watching that game and seeing how Derek Carr has, you know, somewhat started to progress again instead of, you know, the regressional path he's been on? See, something that, you know, you and I talked about at the start of, or prior to the season when we hit every NFL team, and something we talked about with the Raiders was similar to what happened with Tannehill and Mariota last year in Tennessee. When Tannehill was brought in, Mariota didn't really improve that much. They were still the same team. Mariota was kind of fluttering. And now Mariota gets brought into Oakland, and it almost had the adverse effect with Derek Carr, if you want to contribute it to that. But Carr has looked phenomenal. I mean, I thought the whole Raiders team looked very good. I mean, you're talking about a Saints team that, yes, was at, without Michael Thomas, who was Drew Brees' number one target. But this Saints team was a team that 
going into the season, we considered, and a lot of experts around the league considered one of the top teams in at least the NFC and maybe all of football. And for the Raiders to beat them on Monday Night Football on a primetime stage, I mean, this is the Gruden magic starting to finally kick in, I think. Yeah, and I think what's really helping Derek Carr is, I mean, he has a stud of a tight end in Darren Waller. I mean, he's already, I think, easily a top five tight end in this league. And he is really showing that he is really the number one target on that team. And he's really making a nice trio with uh, him, Derek Carr, and the workhorse, Josh Jacobs. So they definitely have some momentum on offense. And it's going to be exciting to watch them the rest of this season. But that leaves us with the Broncos. And the Broncos are 0-2. You know, I felt good about the Broncos going into the season with Drew Locke showing some promise last year. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, I mean, you know, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, this offense I think was going to be very good, but I mean, devastating injuries this past week, Dylan. Yeah. Cortland Sutton's out the entire season now. Drew Locke is expected to miss a couple of weeks. I mean, what a tragic, tragic week for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, prior to the season, I mean, maybe even more than you, I was very, very high on this Denver Broncos team. I mean, we spent a bulk of the AFC West podcast talking about how good this Broncos offense could be. And unfortunately, Drew Locke gets hurt, and then you lose Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler's been out, and then you have Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon in the backfield, which both looked solid, I thought. But now without your quarterback, without your number one target, without your slot guy even in Hamler, um, you're going to rely on a young receiver in Jerry Judy to partner with, it seems like, Driscoll and then maybe a short leash to Blake Bortles coming back and com- or coming back into the starting role in a team. But Blake Bortles, Jeff Driscoll, they're not going to win you games. And when your weaponry, or your weaponry consists of no longer your top big-sized wide receiver— and your speed threat, you're relying on Noah Fant, who, a good young tight end, but is not a reliable star yet, and then you have Jerry Judy, a talented young wide receiver, but he's only going to be entering his third game, and you're asking him to build a rapport with two quarterbacks he's not really worked with as much as Drew Locke, and I think that this Broncos offense, until Drew Locke gets back, and even when he does with Cortland Sutton missing the season, is going to be the epitome of wasted opportunity this year. And not really wasted opportunity. I guess that might be the wrong word, but almost like a, I guess, wasted potential maybe for this year just because there was so many high hopes on this team within the AFC for the Broncos to maybe sneak in as a wildcard team. And I think that now this is going to take a two-year kind of window to see them do anything. And it sucks for a guy like Von Miller who, looking at that defense, their defense isn't bad, but Von Miller, you know, this is another year down the drain for him after the Super Bowl just a few years ago. Yeah, I really do feel bad for the Broncos and that entire organization. And, you know, Drew Locke, I I really feel bad for because I know I've seen him on Good Morning Football and, you know, interview with a bunch of people, and he was really excited for this season, and he really felt like he was going to have a really good year. And then this happens. You know, it's not expected to end his entire season. He's only expected to miss a few games, but still, I mean, that takes you out of your rhythm. That messes up an already shortened um, amount of practices for this season. So it's definitely not what the Broncos want. Okay, Dylan, it's time for the AFC East. Let's try not to rip our hair out when we get to the Jets, all right? The Bills are 2-0. They beat the Jets easily week one. 
but last this past week against the Dolphins, they had a pretty close game. Josh, I mean, Josh Allen put up great numbers and he looked very good, but it was a close game. Now, does that show you more about the Dolphins or does that show you more about the Bills? I think it shows you more about the Dolphins. I think this Bills team is going to be a buzzsaw through the AFCs this year, aside from probably some competitive games with the Patriots. But the fact that the Dolphins hung in there says more about the Dolphins. And I think not even just the Dolphins, but Brian Flores. I mean, this is a guy who took a team last year, as we talked about, that was projected to be potentially one of the worst teams in NFL history by some and put in the ranks of the Bengals, who ended up having the first overall pick, to a team that genuinely performed, I'd say, pretty far above expectations last year. I mean, they exceeded my expectations, and it seemed like that was the league-wide sentiment. And it shows the coach that Brian Flores is that this team is going to be competitive no matter the pieces. And I think that right now, you know, you're going to see a lot of maybe close losses for them until Fitzpatrick comes out. And then I think at some point this season, you're going to see what Tua can do. And I think that it's going to be almost a tutoring year for him behind Fitzpatrick as Flores wants it to be because this team is going to be competitive. They're going to lose a lot of close games, I think. They're probably going to win a few games. They're not going to be a team that I think makes playoff noise, but they're going to be a team that's close in games. So, I mean, I think this says a lot about the coaching and the you know way they're rallying behind Flores there in Miami and a lot less about Buffalo, which I think has been a great start for them. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, being that Joe Burrow started week one, Justin Herbert started this past week due to a freak of an injury. Um, when do you expect Tua comes in for the Dolphins? Do you think it's before week eight? I personally think it's around week 10 or week 11 because of, you know, the potential of them losing close games. I don't really expect them to get blown out that consistently. Um, but I think week 10 or 11 for me is when Tua really comes in and steals that starting position. How do you feel? I don't remember what I originally said in our preseason rankings for where I had said that Tua would come in, but I'd actually say that if this was a coach like, um, not trying to start the Adam Gase bashing a little early here, Brendan, but if this was an Adam Gase kind of move where that's the kind of guy that might be trigger happy and might, you know, put a quarterback in just because he wants to save face, but Brian Flores knows he's secure in Miami and he knows that he can take his time with Tua and... I think that the fact that Fitzpatrick has at least kept them competitive, this isn't a team that we're expecting to be a playoff team this year. And I think that they're going to take their time with Tua. Week week 10 probably seems about a fair window. But, I mean, there's a realistic possibility that if Fitzpatrick starts to exceed expectations a little bit, they may hold Tua out until the back-back half of the season. Yeah, I mean, personally, I you know, you know I don't like the Dolphins. Um, on an emotional level, but I, I am excited to see Tua on the field because I think that he can really be a magical player and bring a lot of excitement to not only the Dolphins and that division, but the entire league, and I think that'll be good for the NFL, and, you know, I think it's just going to, even more with that is, I don't know why, I just, I love the fact that he's a lefty. I think that lefty quarterbacks like Tua, like we've seen like Michael Vick in the past, I think Tua, you know, he's not the exact athlete that Michael Vick is, but I think that, you know, a lefty quarterback makes it harder for defenses because the ball comes out differently. And I think that, you know, with that and that athleticism that he does have, I think that he can be a really special quarterback and really, 
make this league even more exciting. Enough of the Dolphins, though, because I'm going to make myself sick. Let's move on here to the Patriots. They are 1-1. One one. Cam Newton has really, I think, you know, he doesn't have the best numbers, let's say, but I think he has put the league on somewhat of a notice, saying like, hey, you know, you all could have come and got me, but you didn't. And, you know, I'm, I'm playing pretty well for the Patriots, and, you know, they could be 2-0 and right now. They were stopped on the goal line against Seattle this past week, and if if Cam Newton punched that ball in, they would be 2-0 and right now, beating a very good Seattle team, and I think that, you know, this would be a much different conversation about Cam Newton and the Patriots, and people would be talking about him in a better way than they already are. I mean, what have you seen from Cam Newton and the Patriots that makes you nervous as a Jets fan, but excited as an NFL fan for Cam Newton? I said something this weekend, and I'm going to stick to my guns on it. This offense in New England right now looks better now than it did this time last year. And this, and even maybe even mid-season last year with the New England Patriots. Cam and the way Belichick and McDaniels have adjusted the offense to Cam has been incredibly impressive. And I hate, hate, hate it as a New York Jets fan. But as a football fan, I mean, Sunday night, that was probably the game of the year of the first two weeks. And I'll probably say that a couple times throughout the season about a few games. But the fact is, you are 100% right. They punched that in, they're 2-0. and And this is a team, though, at 1-1 one one that I, I had had them hypothetically as one of my you know, sleeper teams. I had them at 10-6. and six. I stand by that prediction and maybe even backtrack and bump them up to an 11-5. and five. Maybe I'm overhyping them early, but I was incredibly impressed by their showing this Sunday against a Seahawks team that could end up being the top NFC team this year. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots have definitely looked good. Um, I think, you know, Bill Belichick having a player like Cam Newton allows him to run things on offense that he's never been able to do before. And I think that's, you know, really scary for the rest of the league because I don't. no one really had them as a Super Bowl contender. You know, I think everyone thought that was just way too high for Cam Newton coming off injuries, going to a new system, whatever. But, I mean, if they continue to play like this, they are going to make some noise, and it's going to be scary. All right, Dylan. The Jets. Through the first two weeks of the season, they are 0-2. They lost against the Bills, did not look good whatsoever. They lost against the 49ers. They looked worse for about three and a half quarters. Then Sam Darnold made a very, very nice play, scrambling out of the pocket, throwing away from his body on a line for a touchdown. But through two weeks, they're 0-2. I didn't expect them to win either game. But, I mean, they have just looked dreadful. They have looked awful. I mean, do you? how do you feel about Adam Gase right now? Does he have to go? Are you going to give him more time? I mean, what's your opinion here? Brendan, I have been eager to get on the mic and, you know, voice my thoughts about this New York Jets program or organization at this point. Um, I wrote it in a few articles on ESM if you'd like to check them out. But this is kind of the opportunity, I think, for both you and I to be more vocal about our dismay for the New York Jets. Maybe me more than you at this point, but Adam Gase has got to go. And I'm going to take it a step further. 
the Johnsons for allowing this to happen is an utter shit show. Um, the New York Jets organization is an absolute embarrassment right now. And maybe, maybe I will look back on this as a New York Jets fan, and I hope I do, in a few weeks and say, oh, I was completely overreacting. But we saw a team last year that, you know, was so hyped coming into this season, you know, 7-9, and nine, you know, they, they won a few games at the end of the season after Darnold came back from Mono. Well, let's put it into perspective. Two of those wins that, you know, were so adamantly talked about as a dynamic, you know, offense, win streak, you know, big, big things coming for them. Two of those wins, one of them was against a Bills team that was resting their starters for the playoffs. The other was against a Pittsburgh Steelers team that was without two key playmakers in their quarterback, Big Ben, and I believe James Conner was out for that game. Nonetheless, the Jets did win those games. Credit to Adam Gase for pulling something out of his ass. But at this point in time, I don't see a single way Adam Gase finishes this season as the New York Jets head coach. And the very sad part is I don't see a way, but there probably will be a way because Chris Johnson apparently thinks he's a brilliant offensive mind. You know, he's the, you know, the one of the most big innovators, offensive minds in football. Well, an offensive mind doesn't score 17 points and 13 points this past Sunday, 17 the other day against one team that I mean, Solomon Thomas was out, Nick Boza was out, Richard Sherman was out, okay? And then you go to Buffalo, where it was garbage time you got that other touchdown. And frankly, I loved the play by Sam, but it was garbage time this Sunday. The absolute embarrassment that the New York Jets organization must feel right now, and not even the organization, the players, and Joe Douglas, because those are the only guys I relate to right now. Avery Williamson went on the air on WFAN yesterday, and flat out said they're not practicing as hard as they should be and if the coach's only response to that brendan is that you know if we were executing the plays as is you know none of the players have talked to me take some goddamn accountability gase seriously he's gonna be out of a job one way or another this year but it's like he just doesn't care this is forfeit football this is an embarrassment And honestly, it's not on the players, it's not on the general manager, it's on the ownership for allowing this shit show to continue, and it's on Adam Gase for being one of the worst football coaches in the NFL that I have ever seen. And I would not want him coaching Pop Warner football, as Mike Greenberg said. I'll take it a step further. I would never let him coach an NFL game again, but apparently the Johnson brothers are going to let that happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at this point, I mean, Adam Gase has shown absolutely no progress. I mean, the the short win streak at the end of last season, when I think they went 6-2 and two in the final eight weeks, um, that really saved his job. And I agree with you. I mean, he shouldn't be the head coach at the end of this season, but I'm scared that if the Jets put in one or two short win streaks of two or three games and they still finish— Five and eleven, four and twelve. He's still gonna be. He's gonna have a job still, and I'm really scared about that because that's just something the Jets would do. That's just that just seems like something that would happen. A four and twelve season or a five and eleven season. They're thinking, okay, this was solid. We can progress from this. That should not be the point of view here. That should not be how they are thinking. But I I generally am scared that Adam Gase is gonna be the head coach you know, at least till the end of this season. But 
I mean, some bright side, I think, from the 49ers game is that our running game looked better. And I don't want to say it's because Le'Veon Bell is out, but it seems like with him not playing and Frank Gore as the lead back, there was just more plays where you said, okay, we're definitely going to get two or three yards here. Because it seems like Frank Gore never gets tackled behind the line. He always gets positive yardage. And with Le'Veon Bell, at least since he's gotten with the Jets, you're thinking, okay, this could either be five yards or he could lose two. I mean, is, is that is that weird to think that the Jets' offense is better without Le'Veon Bell? Not at all. And it's not. I, I truly do think that if Le'Veon Bell had signed with, uh, I think the Ravens were the runner-ups in that sweepstakes to an extent, I think if he had signed with another team, he'd be in a completely different conversation right now. But the fact is, the way he was used in Pittsburgh was not just as a running back. He was used split out wide. He was used in a number of ways. And not to keep beating a dead horse, but Gase says adamantly this offseason, you know, I, I studied up, you know, I'm going to learn how to use Gate or Bell the right way. But he was obviously full of shit because you have a 37-year-old running back who Frank Gore will go down as one of the most consistent, productive running backs of all time. But he's outplaying him because that's the only guy he knows how to use. And I just don't understand how they're just wasting talent. I mean, Bell is a great talent, I truly believe. And the Jets are just passing him by as if he's a scrub and not acknowledging any of his feelings. And yes, there's some stuff he's saying on the web when he's talking about being benched and whatever that's ridiculous but still Frank Gore is 37 years old and he's outperforming a back who was just a few years ago considered one of the top in football and I don't think that's on the running backs or the running back room the running back coach it's on the head coach how do you feel Brendan yeah I mean I I just have one more thing to say here about Adam Gaze before I think we should get off the Jets is I don't know if you noticed this but during the 49ers game there were times when the camera would go over to Adam Gase, and he'd be on the sideline, crouched over with his hands on his knees, looking at the playbook, shaking his head in disbelief because he just does not know (laughs) what to call. He does not know what could possibly work. He's just, he has no idea, and he shows no confidence there on the sideline. And, I mean, that, that got me very visibly frustrated when I saw him on the sideline hands on his knees, crouched over, shaking his head at the playbook because he just doesn't know. He doesn't. But, okay, let's move on here. He even said, sorry to jump in again, but he even said, oh, you know, we didn't didn't do a play there that uh, I felt comfortable with because, you know, we didn't have a play in the playbook. Excuse me? You're not a first-year head coach. You've been in the league. You ruined the Dolphins, and now you're ruining the Jets. You've had multiple head coaching opportunities, and you don't have a play in the playbook? That is the most idiotic piece of shit I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's unbelievable. Although it seems normal with the Jets now. You don't expect really anything good to happen out of them. But, all right, Dylan, let's move on here. <laughs> AFC South. Titans are 2-0. and Ryan Tannehill has looked fantastic in my opinion these last in these first two weeks he has looked like someone you know he, he's really known as a guy who's I think somewhat a game manager um 
where, you know, that offense is obviously led by Derrick Henry, and they'll go wherever he takes them, but Ryan Tannehill, I think, what, did he have four touchdowns this past week? He has looked very good throwing the ball, and Corey Davis, man, I mean, Corey Davis, their wide receiver, who they had very high expectations for, is now really showing that he can be a very good target for Ryan Tannehill, and I think his contract is up after this season, so he could be playing for a new contract, but... If Corey Davis can really emerge as a very solid and consistent wide receiver for this offense, that's something they didn't really have. I mean, they kind of had it with A.J. Brown, but if you add Corey Davis to that, they have two good wide receivers, an all-pro running back, and a very solid quarterback who doesn't really turn the ball over. I mean, this team could potentially get back to the AFC Championship game. How do you feel? Well, not only that, but they also have John U. Smith, who had a phenomenal game this Absolutely. past Sunday. And then they have Adam Humphreys, who's a solid slot piece. But they have a great core of weapons. And then you go to the other side of the football, a very solid secondary with Butler, Jackson, Byard. You know, very good, good secondary. Great secondary, you could even say. And then you add in Jadavian Clowney, who, yes, he's not a productive sack, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, David Clowney's never been a guy who's going to jump out at sacks. And maybe that's He's a pocket wrecker. He causes pressure. Yes, exactly. He causes pressure, and their defense is great. Their offense has been very, very impressive, especially, as you said, Tannehill, a guy who's supposed to be a game manager, but he has overperformed it. I'm very, very, very impressed with the Tennessee Titans to this point. Yeah, I mean, they've looked very good. They haven't looked like, you know, in the, I don't want to say they've looked like an elite team. They've looked like a good team like they were last year. They weren't considered, even when they were in the AFC Championship game last year, no one said, wow, this is an elite team. You know, they're just mm-hmm. making plays when they have to. They're holding on to the ball, not turning it over, and they're really managing the game clock so that they have complete control over what happens in that game. Right behind them, the Jaguars are 1-1. One very surprising. I think I was, you know, with many people expecting the Jaguars to potentially have two wins this season. Get the number one pick, draft Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I know the Jets people, people are talking about the Jets getting him now, but yeah, all right, let's, let's stick with the Jaguars here. Surprising week one win against the Colts. I think it was surprising. I mean, I didn't expect the Colts to be an extremely good team, but I think with Phillip Rivers, they were definitely a step up from Jacoby Brissett, and they lose to the Jaguars week one. Gardner Minshew looked very good. I mean, even without Leonard Fournette, they had a pretty solid offense. I mean, how do you feel about this Jaguars team? Are they going to exceed expectations, or do you still expect them to be in that race for the number one pick? Um, I don't necessarily expect them to be in the nice, the race for the number one pick because I do like Gardner Minshew. I I kind of felt the Gardner Minshew hate was not really warranted, and it's just been more about what Trevor Lawrence has been in college and what they think he could be at the NFL. And I do think that they will still be picking high, but they're off to a hot start, and they have exceeded expectations. I mean, yes, it's a small sample size, but Gardner Minshew's look good. I mean, you could even say the defense has been better than necessarily expected. And, hey, if I'm a Jaguars fan right now, I've got to be at least a little enthused with the way this team has performed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know there's a lot of people 
who want Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. There's a lot of people who love Gardner Minshew, and I think Gardner Minshew is really handling the pressure well right now because after Leonard Fournette signed with the Buccaneers, he said, you know, this is the first time I've really had a quarterback. And then right after that, week one, Gardner Minshew looked far better than Tom Brady. So I think Gardner Minshew is really handling the critics and all the pressure well right now. Um, but I, I don't see this level of competition and excitement and, you know, winning football games to be stretched over the entire season for the Jaguars. I really don't. I mean, I'm pessimistic on them. I could be wrong. We'll see. Right behind them is the Colts, 1-1. One and one. As we just said, lost to the Jaguars in Week 1. Phillip Rivers... You know, I, I think Philip Rivers, he got that new contract. I mean, I think it's really showing, though, that he is not at all who he once was, and that age has definitely caused him to regress. I mean, how do you how do you feel? Do you feel confident in Philip Rivers this season? Or, I mean, what do you see? I see a guy who is, has one foot in the door and one foot out the door of the league as a whole. I watched him talk on a couple shows for particularly one I'm going to reference here, the Pat McAfee show, he had said, you know, he was open to becoming a high school football coach this year in North Carolina. Right. I'm pretty sure he has a job lined up for after he retires. Yes. And it just feels like he he really does have one foot in the door and one foot out, and he's not the same Philip Rivers. He's throwing – I still think he's kind of throwing a medicine ball, honestly. And I I would say – they're going to be competitive at some point, but the Marlon Mack injury is really going to hurt them. I think that Jonathan Taylor getting to kind of work behind him and now having to work in a pair with Naheem Hines is going to kind of hurt Taylor's development to an extent. And that th- like three-headed monster in the backfield that they had had and Paris Campbell being hurt, you know, it kind of took a shot to the offense. And then on the other side of the ball, the defense has been solid, but... I mean, actually, the defense has been fairly impressive. I'll go Malik to that Hooker point. Hooker's hurt now, though. Yeah, Hooker's hurt. But the defense has been fairly impressive, even with a Hooker injury. You could factor that in, and they'll still be okay. But I think this team just spells okay to me. They don't spell solid, competitive playoff football team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that, you know, they wanted to make a change of quarterback because Brissett is not a bad quarterback. He's, he's okay. But, you know, they didn't feel he's a quarterback that can really – push them into the playoffs and they thought you know okay Philip Rivers has been there he's done that he's done pretty much everything in his career other than win a Super Bowl I mean he's had a pretty pretty good career and you know they thought okay maybe if we add him veteran presence we might have a shot at the uh at the playoffs especially because you know I mean who other than the Titans were expected to be really that competitive. I mean, maybe the Texans, even though DeAndre Hopkins is out. But, I mean, other than the Titans, I think, you know, second place in that division in the wild card was really up for grabs. And they thought, okay, Phillip Rivers can maybe push us to a wild card spot. And he could. But time will tell, and we'll see as more games happen. And the Texans, they're 0-2. I mean, their offense does not look the same without DeAndre Hopkins. They don't have a number one receiver, really. I mean, I don't know. Is Brandon Cooks listed as their number one on their depth chart? I mean, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But even if he is, he's not DeAndre Hopkins. And, I mean, this offense just does not look the same. I, I 
don't understand why Bill O'Brien is still there. I really don't. I think DeAndre Hopkins is saving his job. <laughs> I mean, I think that a change at head coach would really help this team. I mean, how do you feel? Um, I agree to an extent. I do believe, and maybe this is the only time we'll contradict each other a little bit here, but I don't like Bill O'Brien. I don't think he's a good head coach, but he's not incompetent like somebody else we've already talked about. But Right, right, right. But they also, for a frame of reference, just played the two top AFC teams. I mean, I feel comfortable still saying the Chiefs That's and true. the Ravens are the top AFC teams. And I would say give them two more games. I give him that little bit of a sample size. Well, I'll give of, him even more than that. I think yeah. he's going to have a job at the end of this season or by the oh, end no. of the season. But I'm saying to rush to a judgment. I mean, their next okay. two games, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's probably a loss as well. The Vikings, which based on the way Cousins played, could be a toss-up. But yeah, after he, that— He's been awful. But that's a game where it's kind of fair. The Jaguars, kind of a fair game. The Titans, probably a loss. But you've got three games right there, along with the Steelers game. I feel like after after week maybe six, you could more get an idea of where this team's going to be at. But I'm not happy with their offense if I'm a Texans fan. But I'm not also shipping it in and saying that it's all over for them. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking in the long run, I don't think Bill O'Brien should be the head coach past this season. Um, but we'll see because, I mean, he basically runs everything in that organization, it seems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like he has his hands on everything. Let's move here to the AFC North. In first place, well, tied for first place, really, is the Ravens. They're 2-0. and I think they have looked like, if not the best, one of the two best teams in the entire league through the first two seasons. Small sample size, but still, they've looked very good. They've looked dominant. They've looked clean. Lamar Jackson has looked very good still after his MVP season. Is it safe to say that the Ravens right now are looking like the best team in the AFC? Well, just for, I guess, a statistical kind of point of view, 71 points they've scored to this point in two games, which, yes, it's two games, no need to overreact, but they've only allowed 22 points. And this is a defense that last season kind of got trampled over by Derrick Henry mm-hmm. and is the reason that they didn't go farther in the playoffs. But I think that if this defense goes up against him this year, it's going to be a different game. And maybe that's just because Henry turns it on after like week 12 all the time. <laughs> but right now, if I had to pinpoint my top team in football, especially after the way the Chiefs played the other day, and maybe it's just against the Chargers and you know the 49ers are hurt, the Saints... I've got Ravens and Seahawks one and two. As do I. That That is exactly what I have. I think, you know, we'll get to the Seahawks. Um, but, I mean, the Ravens have looked really good. They've looked like the best AFC team through two weeks. Um, and, I mean, if they keep this up, I think a lot of people have them in the championship game, you know, battling with the Chiefs for the Super Bowl. If they keep this up, Lamar Jackson can continue this into the playoffs. I might be getting ahead of myself here. It's just two weeks, but I'm excited for the Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson has a shot for the Super Bowl this year. Steelers, 2-0. Big Ben is back. They feel much more confident in their quarterback situation, obviously. He's looked he's looked pretty good for a guy who missed you know a long time on the field. I mean, are you confident the Steelers can keep this up and be a competitive team and potentially push for a wild card spot? I am confident... 
I'd say to an extent, I think it's barring a James Conner injury, barring, I mean, I'm more worried about the offense than defense. This defense has all the making to be not just very good. I'd even go to the extent to say this may be the best defense in the league, or yeah, in the league at this point in two weeks of a sample size, but on paper, it's a phenomenal defense, and I mean, Bud Dupree off the edge, monster. Minka Fitzpatrick, great, great player. TJ Watt, a great player. I mean, I can keep going. There are so many great pieces on that defense. The offense just has to be mediocre to be competitive, and they've been above that to this point. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens to this point in the North before we get to the two other teams. <laughs> well, let's move on to the two other teams here. In third right now after two weeks is the Browns at 1-1. One and one. Now, I might have been over-exaggerating my excitement for, you know, many teams already, but the Browns are a very hard team to evaluate because Baker Mayfield looked very good against the Bengals, didn't look so good week one. His connection with, you know, OBJ is iffy, very inconsistent, same thing with Jarvis Landry. I mean, Nick Chubb is going to do Nick Chubb things, he's going to score the ball, but I mean, it's very inconsistent playing from Baker Mayfield that makes this team hard to evaluate. I mean, is that fair? Do you think that I should be evaluating them in a different way, or is it just too murky right now? I agree. I think it is fairly murky right now, but their upcoming four games, the Washington football team, who they've shown up with a very solid defense to this point, um, the Cowboys, uh, decent defense, and then the Colts and the Steelers, Colts kind of in that decent category, and then the Steelers we just talked about, phenomenal defense. That's going to be the way, I think, to gauge Baker after those four games and where this team can truly go to, um, kind of similar to the Texans, where I think there needs to be a little more time to kind of gauge where these teams are at, but right now, I'm not high on the Browns. I wasn't really coming into the season, and I think that the problem is really going to be that you got you kind of have four built-in losses for the Bengals and the Browns facing the Steelers and the Ravens, and it it's hard to come back from with that anyways, and then with flaws on both sides of the ball for both teams, I just don't see either team making noise, but it, particularly on the Browns' sense, I just don't think this team is going to be a competitive once again this year. And I really don't know what the issue is because they've got pieces all over the board. They really do. They really do. Their offense is stacked with talent with Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield. I mean, this this and Austin Hooper at tight end now <laughs> was a, you know, I thought was a good signing. He hasn't really done much so far through two weeks, but, you know, I, I honestly feel better about the Bengals in the short term and the long term than I do about the Browns because, I mean, they're 0-2, but my God, Joe Burrow has looked good. I mean, they lost this past week 35-30 to to Cleveland. Joe Burrow threw the ball 61 times in his second career NFL game, completed 37 of 61 passes for 316 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, that is outstanding for your second NFL game in a primetime Thursday night game against an interstate rival. And 
I mean, Joe Burrow looked really good. I mean, I I think they they really, you know, I mean, everyone felt Joe Burrow was number one pick, but they hit the lottery with him. I came out of that game Thursday night feeling more confident about the Cleveland or not the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals than I did the Cleveland Browns. I genuinely was yeah. so impressed with Joe Burrow and how well he played, how poised he was in that game because you Looked can make like a the veteran. case. Yes, you can make the case that week 1 against the Chargers, you're Randy Bullock learning how to kick a field goal away from winning that game and sending it to overtime because of <laughs> yeah. how good Burrow was playing. And there were a few flaws and a few missteps away from winning that game Thursday night. I'm more high on the Bengals right now than I am about the Browns. So am I. I think the Bengals, you know, especially if they get, if they keep A.J. Green in the future, I think he's got another maybe at least four years left of being really an elite wide receiver if he's healthy. You add Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. I mean, this offense can really be good with a good quarterback and Joe Burrow, and I'm very excited to see what they can do. I mean, I loved Joe Burrow in college. My brother hated him because he's a Clemson fan. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think Joe Burrow, you know, even in college at LSU, he looked like, obviously college offenses are different than NFL offenses, but he just looked like someone who could really succeed in an NFL offense because he's not the, like— He's not like a Lamar Jackson type, who I actually was iffy about coming out of college because he's not a quarterback first. You know what I mean? He's an athlete who can also throw the ball. Joe Burrow is a quarterback. He's you know he's not the most mobile guy, but he can move, and he, you know he surprises people by the way that he can move. But he's a quarterback first, and I think that that's really going to help him in an NFL pro style offense because they didn't have to change the entire offense to fit around him. He plugs right in, and he fits the system, and I think he's going to be very good throughout his career. Let's move to the NFC here. NFC West. I think that the NFC West is going to be the best division in football this year. They have three teams at 2-0 right now, and Dylan, one of them is the Arizona Cardinals, who, as you know, I was very high on in the preseason. Before the season, me and you both loved the Cardinals, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, very high on Kyler Murray, who is my dark horse for the MVP this season. And, I mean, I we have been raving about them. What have you seen from the Cardinals? Yes, they're 2-0, but aside from that, what specifics have you seen that are making you excited about this team? I have been so impressed with this team to this point. Their defense has actually been the thing that stood out to me. Their defense has been very, very good. I thought that this team would be winning a lot of shootouts throughout the season and obviously two games into a small sample size, as I've reiterated, but they've been keeping teams. I'm Washington, not a top tier offense. They kept them to 15 points, but the 49ers were healthy in that game. They kept them to 20 points. I think the Cardinals are a good team right now, and I think that they are a sneaky, sneaky dark horse in that NFC right now. Yeah, I mean, I really think that they're going to get at least a wild card spot this season if they don't win this division. Um, but, I mean, I love the Cardinals. I think they're going to be scary, you know, in the in the future. Because, I mean, they're looking good now, but if you give them another one or two years, Kyler Murray's really going to be comfortable then, like 100% comfortable. He's going to be a real NFL veteran at that point in four years total. And... 
you know, Kenyon Drake at running back, who's still fairly young. I mean, he can have many more good seasons. DeAndre Hopkins isn't old. I mean, we'll see about Larry Fitzgerald if he's still there. But behind him, Christian Kirk. I mean, this offense can be really good for time uh, for the future, and I'm just I'm very excited. Behind them, also at two and zero, Los Angeles Rams. They've you know it's a good start for them who need a bounce back season after their disappointment last year. Um, I, I don't think anyone saw them finishing how they did last year. I think more people expect them to be in the playoffs again, and you know a two and zero start. Jared Goff has looked pretty good. Um, you know, they just gave Robert Woods his contract extension. The running back's a little iffy, um, especially with Cam Akers, I believe, is now uh, injured, so he'll be missing some time. So Daryl Henderson is expected to be the starting running back. Are you confident in this offense, or do you think that the lack of depth in the running game will ultimately hurt them in the long run trying to make a playoff run? I I do think the lack of depth is actually going to be the killer for them. I'm impressed by their start because I was pretty low on them actually prior to the season. Um, you were very low, very yeah, low. um yeah. That's a fair statement. I really did not have high hopes for this team, but a two and zero start. They've looked very good. Love the uniforms. Love the stadium. That's just a little bit of a side oh, the stadium note. Stadium is sick. Love the stadium. But I just don't see them having the continuity in terms of continuing this level of success. But in terms of depth, I think that's going to be their killer. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I think Jared Goff, you know, he's a good quarterback. If he doesn't have a running game, though, like that year they went to the Super Bowl, they had Todd Gurley, who had a very good season. They don't have another running back that can put up, you know, that can be really a star, quote-unquote, running back. It's going to hurt them. Jared Goff's not a guy who can really put the team on his back every game and lead you to some big-time wins. Also at 2-0 is the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, Russell Wilson, my God. He has looked unbelievable through the first two weeks. Listen to this. Through the first two weeks, he has an 82.5% completion percentage. 82.5%. 610 yards, 9 touchdowns, 1 interception, and a QBR of 140. He has been on another level. How do you feel about the Seahawks? I am shoot me to the moon. I am so, so high on the Seattle Seahawks team. I think this is the year Russ finally kind of jumps in the MVP conversation. Yeah, at least maybe he'll get some votes this year. <laughs> yes, he deserves the recognition, but I, I've kind of been transitioning a lot when you've talked about offense to the other side of the ball. Their defense, it's not going to win them games, but it's not going to lose them games. And I, we both love Jamal Adams because their secondary is, honestly, aside from Jamal, not where you'd want it to be. Their pass rush isn't out of this world when you're relying on Bruce Irvin for most of your real— He's actually real, hurt now. Yeah, you're relying on him for most of it, and he's not there. And then Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams, though— who knew that two of them together, they're a hell of a tandem. That is a scary, hard-hitting duo. Yes. Wagner will punch you in the mouth, and Jamal will rub it in your face. They are a phenomenal duo together. And then the other side of the football, Chris Carson, what a breakout the first two games. It's kind of been undersold, but he has looked very, very good. And then DK Metcalf. I mean, 
two near 100-yard games. He's developed into a top-tier receiver, which perfectly complements Tyler Lockett, who is an absolute burner on the outside. Yeah, I mean, Metcalf absolutely tore up Stephon Gilmore in that secondary. Yes. I'm pretty sure I forget the exact completion percentage and QBR that Gilmore allowed when guarding Metcalf, but it was like the highest he's allowed in like two or three years. To a second-year receiver in DK Metcalf, I mean, my God, that, that kid is special. It was a phenomenal matchup, and then you just touched on Russ, an absolute beast. And uh, shoot me to the moon for this Seahawks team. They're my top team in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, I think behind the Ravens, like you said earlier, they are the second best team in the NFL right now. I think they have to be ranked number two in the power rankings. They've looked very good. Russell Wilson has looked like he is on a mission to get a single MVP vote. Just one. That's all he wants. But, you know, behind them are last year's Super Bowl runner-ups, the San Francisco 49ers. They're one and one. They got to win this past week against the Jets, but at a very, very big cost. Nick Bosa is out for the season. Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to miss a couple of games. Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman will both be missing time. Solomon Thomas is on IR. And that's not even mentioning Richard Sherman and Debo Samuel. Those, was it, one, two, three, four, five big-time injuries happened against the Jets. And, I mean, that is just very tough for them to deal with. I mean, Nick Mullins is expected to be the starting quarterback now. Running back is very, you know, very, very thin now. We'll see if George Kittle's okay. I think he's on track to play. Wide receiver's still thin. I mean, you know, it's funny because I'm sure you saw that a lot of the players were calling out the MetLife Stadium turf. And now they have to play the Giants this week. So they're back at MetLife Stadium. And they're going to have to deal with that turf again. The turf passed protocol as far as I'm concerned. Um... I mean, <laughs> hopefully they don't get injuries again. But I mean, I mean, this team is really, really injury riddled at this time. Yeah, I. This team was one I projected to be one of the top in the league, and injuries have really, really dampened that projection. And I can't see them making too much noise, mainly because of that. But the scary thing is. I mean, this is a complete reach in saying this, but say they just fall apart because of injuries. Say this is a wash of a year, and they get maybe a fairly high pick, maybe a top 10 pick. Imagine them reloading and coming back next year. I mean, it's looking ahead for that 49ers organization. But say they get Mika Parsons. That's a hypothetical. That takes their defense up a notch, and that goes for offense. And I just, right now, I'd look to the future if you're a 49ers fan because the current picture ain't looking too bright. Listen, I mean, even with Nick Mullins at quarterback, they're not going to be a team that anyone can just, you know, roll over and get an easy win. They're still going to be competitive. They're just not going to be at their full potential. Yeah. Let's move on here. Oh, we're 50 minutes in. We got three divisions left, Dylan. Oof. All right. NFC East. Tied for first place with the Dallas Cowboys is the Washington football team at 1-1. One and one. I only have one word for that. How? 
<laughs> they won week one against Philadelphia, who has looked very bad through the first two weeks. I mean, Carson Wentz has not looked the same. He's looked very uncomfortable. And, you know, Washington came back to win that game week one. I mean, I'm st- I still don't think this team is going to be anything this season. It's a very surprising start for me. I mean, even just the one win is surprising. I figured they'd be 0-2 at this point. Um, you know, because, you know, I don't think anyone picked them to, you know, to beat Philly. And then they lose to Arizona. But 1-1 one and one through two weeks. You know, better than what most people expected. Yes. The Cowboys. 1-1 one and one had that crazy comeback against the Atlanta Falcons. Crazy. They were down 20 to nothing at one point. Then down 29-10 at half. They win... 40 to 39, right? Was the final score off that game winning field goal. And I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you've seen over and over again that that onside kick that the Falcons <laughs> refused to pick up. And as Stephen A. Smith would say, the Falcons are the dumbest team in football in the modern era. So we'll get to the Falcons. The Cowboys, how do you feel about them so far? Do they look like the team that is a lock for this division because I think they are now, especially with Philly struggling, but are they a Super Bowl contender based on what you've seen through two weeks? Are you confident what Mike McCarthy can do? Hell no. <laughs> I I don't bet on any one of these NFC East teams really being a contender this year. I think the Cowboys aren't going to be a bad team. I think they'll probably win the division fairly easier than I thought originally, not to discredit the football team, and honestly, it'd be the most 2020 thing for a team without a name to win the division and make some noise in the playoffs. But yes, they have a good defensive line, but they're a few pieces away and maybe a year or so out from being any real contender. The Giants, great, great offensive performance I've actually felt like to this point then you lose Saquon Barkley a lot of young pieces there optimism for them Eagles incredibly disappointing I don't know where you go from there but as for the Cowboys yes they'll win the NFC East like they do every year at about 10 and 6 9 and 7 and I I don't think it's about the coach um I I actually I hate saying this but I think Jason Garrett probably could have called a better game against at least the Rams. Maybe even you could say against the Falcons. But I, I'm i not high on the Cowboys as I was originally. But maybe Lamb, Gallup, and Cooper will mesh more with Prescott. And that passing attack can maybe heat up a little bit more. Right now, though, not super high on the Cowboys. Yeah, I think if this passing attack really gets to their max potential, they're scary with Gallup, Cooper, and Lamb. Until then, they're going to be a good team, but they could be a great team. You spoke about the Giants losing Saquon Barkley. They're 0-2. Barkley's out for the season. Incredibly tragic injury. The Giants signed today, or excuse me, a few days ago, Devontae Freeman to be his replacement. Are you confident that Devontae Freeman can produce for this team, you know, relatively close to the way that he did with the Atlanta Falcons? Um, to some point, I think that he'll be okay. I think the the one asset actually our boss hit on very, very well was his pass protection could actually be a decent benefit to Daniel Jones out of the backfield. And I do think that the complement of him and Deion Lewis could be nice. 
I don't see him producing as well as he had when he was in Atlanta, but I think he'll do okay, and I think if you're losing your all-star superstar running back in Saquon Barkley, and that's your consolation prize, you can't be too mad. Yeah, I mean, he's a good person to sign to come over and fill that hole, but he's not Barkley. Devontae Freeman, I think, will be. I actually picked him up in every one of my fantasy leagues. Um, as a depth guy, <laughs> I think he's going to get a lot of touches for this Giants team once he's cleared to play. Um, I think he has to pass a couple of negative COVID tests. Um, so when he finally hits the field, I think he'll be good for the Giants. NFC South. The Saints are 1-1 one one after beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 1 and losing to the Raiders this past week. Now, without Michael Thomas in the field, Drew Brees didn't look terrible but he didn't look the same. Do you think that Drew Brees is really reliant on Michael Thomas at this point to put up his you know, incredible completion percentage numbers? Or do you think that this was just a one-game thing and that Drew Brees will righten the ship? Um, I do still think the Saints win the division. But my, my one word, actually, I was thinking about this beforehand, to describe the whole division is disappointment. I mean, the Falcons... Pfft, the onside kick kind of killed them there. The Panthers losing Christian McCaffrey. And the Buccaneers, you know, a disappointing start. Saints, uh, that was a disappointing loss. Um, disappointment's been the theme the first two weeks, I think, throughout that division. I think there is a very, very strong reliance to Michael Thomas that somewhat actually flew under the radar to an extent because I think that a lot of people kind of saw Drew Brees as Drew Brees can do it all in terms of giving it to anybody and having success but I think Thomas really did take him to another level and without him it kind of showed on Monday night yeah I mean and I expected Emmanuel Sanders to have a pretty big game with Michael Thomas not there and he only had what, like one catch only a handful of targets I mean that's not gonna fly he's your best receiver on the field when Thomas isn't there and you know I didn't feel good about the Saints offense behind them are the Buccaneers at one and one they lost week one against the Saints. They won this past week. How do you feel about Tom Brady's transition to Tampa Bay? It's not been as smooth necessarily as people probably hoped for. Um, this was a bit of a statement win. I think getting that first win with a team kind of takes the edge off a little bit. And then you go to a banged up Broncos team next week. I think that's going to kind of help a little bit. But I did say this, I believe, in our preseason shows, that I thought that this team would kind of stutter early, and I thought it was going to be a stutter start, and right. then at some point they were going to pick up. I still believe that, but I think that, I mean, Gronk's been almost a non-factor. Um, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, it seems like there's a little bit of an injury bug floating around there. Both have somewhat been okay for the most part but I don't know how high I am, but if Fournette can kind of give shades of old Fournette for this team, maybe that makes a difference, but right now I'm just iffy on the Buccaneers and really the whole division. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to be iffy on the Buccaneers, but I mean, behind the Saints and the Buccaneers, neither of these two teams, and the Falcons and the Panthers, I think are going to be competing in this division for those top two spots. So I think those are locked, honestly, already with the Saints and the Buccaneers. But the, the Falcons, 0-2, oh 
As I already said, and as Stephen A. Smith has said many times on First Take and ESPN, the Falcons may be the dumbest team of the modern era. <laughs> I mean, this was really another tragic, tragic downfall and blowing of a game since their Super Bowl performance against the Patriots, which they should have won also. But, I mean, if you're up 20 to nothing at some point, 29 to 10 at halftime, you cannot lose this game the way that they did. They were, I believe, the first team in NFL history to lose in a game in which they scored 39 points and had zero turnovers. That is mind-blowing that you score 39 with zero turnovers and you lose. I mean, and all of that is overshadowed by what the hell happened on that onside <laughs> kick. I don't think the Falcons – there's two things here because this was spoken about on first take with um, Stephen A. Smith and with – I'm blanking on his name. Kellerman. But, what? No, Max not Kellerman. Max Kellerman. Oh. I had a guest. Um, but, I mean, if you're the Falcons – do you think that they were either not aware that they could touch the ball or do you think that they were waiting for it because it was taking some weird bounces? Do you think that they were waiting for it to go out of bounds? What do you I, think? Because I am baffled by this. I I hate saying I think they were waiting for it to go out of bounds. And just to preface this before we talk a little more about the Falcons, I'm sorry to any Falcons fans listening to this right now because as much as Brendan and I are pissed off at Adam Gase, you have every right to be more mad at Dan Quinn because 28-3 to in the Super Bowl, then this, and it just seems like you guys get more of a reputation as a joke the more and more his tenure has gone on. So I am sorry to that first and sorry that you had to listen to this whole episode only for us to get to your team and not even yeah, give you I mean, any you credit for being dan, competitive do you blame dan quinn for this or do you blame the special teams coordinator because i mean how does your special teams unit not know your hands unit in which julio jones was not a part of he was behind them how does your team not know that they can touch the ball they don't have to huddle around it and do a dance. They can touch the ball. I mean, I, I was just blown away seeing what transpired at that time because, honestly, I think if the Jets were in that situation, even the Jets would have recovered that ball. They would not have stood around in a circle and look at each other and say, what the hell do we do? Yeah, I, Brent, Bo Brent Boyer is a very, very good special teams coordinator for the Jets, and I, it definitely falls heavily on the special teams coordinator's shoulders for not having kind of gone over this before, but it's it's all coaching and still giving up that many points as a defensive head coach and losing the game the way they did. It falls on the coaching, and it falls on the special teams coordinator, and it falls on, you know, we talk about these coaches, but at least in the Falcons' case, these are NFL players who have been spending their whole life playing football. Not once right. you've had exactly. to recover an onside kick. This goes as a just whole failure for the and Atlanta Falcons. And they practice Falcons. it every single week. It's not like they've never practiced how to recover an onside <laughs> kick. These players are on the hands team for a reason. They're supposed to use their hands to get the ball. And they didn't know that they could do that at that time. <laughs> It is unbelievable to me.
And, I mean, this team has great players on paper. They're a good team. When it's all said and done during the games, they're not. They're not. I mean, their offense scores points. Their defense continues to not be able to get the job done. Let's move on here because, I mean, I mean, we can talk about the Falcons for another three hours. <laughs> the Panthers are 0-2. I didn't expect—I expected them to finish last in this division. Um, but, you know, week one, I'm going to tie this back into the Jets. The Jets refused to re-sign Robbie Anderson, let him walk. Week one, I look at his stats. Six receptions— 115 yards, one touchdown. What the hell do the Jets have? They have nothing, but whatever. <laughs> They're 0-2 with Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, and that crew. How do you feel about the Panthers going forward? Do you think that they're going to figure it out and Teddy Bridgewater's going to start you know, getting more into a rhythm and show that he deserves to be a consistent starting quarterback in this league? Or do you think that they're going to continue to struggle? Well, first, I got to say, it's kind of refreshing to see you on the opposite end of things and getting a little heated about the New York Jets, because you were aggressive before, but I think I uh, I went off a little more. And uh... Yeah, I try to keep myself a little more reserved when we're recording, <laughs> when it's off air and I'm by myself with my friends, I let it loose. But go ahead, Dylan. <laughs> with that said, um, yes, I, I'm, my blood pressure is a little lower now, and I can say, yes, congrats, Robbie Anderson, you know, you got out of Adam Gase's horrible horrible management and he's had a very hot start as for teddy bridgewater i mean 367 yards this week 33 for 42 yes two picks but they really didn't play that bad on paper the defense actually looked worse i'd say than the offense but matt rule looking back to his teams in the past and i'll keep this one quick because we're going long now but Matt Rule to his teams in the past, I mean, look at Temple and Baylor. Both struggled early his first few years there, and then they picked it up, and then obviously he's left. This seems to be his forever home. I'm not counting on Teddy to be the long-term starter there. I I hope for him he ends up being the long-term starter there because I think he's a great guy, um, but I just don't think that he's the long-term starter there, and I think this is more a rehearsal year for Matt Rule and kind of getting a feel of the guys that are going to be here long term and if they struggle a lot this year then he'll know that it's time to overhaul the offense and defense but right now I mean the offense has looked okay the defense has looked eh but now you lose Christian McCaffrey so this season's not going to be great for this Carolina team let's move on here to the NFC North the Packers at 2-0 I mean I'm going to say my god again my god Aaron Rodgers this man is on another level right now, and as Stephen A. Smith would say, because you know I love Stephen A. Smith, he is a bad man. 40-plus points in each of the first two games of this season. Their offense has looked great. Quick question. Do you think that this is just Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, or do you think that this is somewhat sparked by that uh, Jordan Love pick? This is a revenge tour, Brendan. This is uh, Danica Patrick's out of the picture. This is uh, Jordan Love is looking over my shoulder, and all the analysts this entire offseason have been saying, oh, you know, you're almost, uh, you're almost out of your prime. You know, you're going to get traded. This is a revenge tour for him. And even Aaron Jones, who, 
didn't look great there towards the end of the playoffs. This is a revenge tour for that Karen, or for the Green Bay offense and a revenge tour for Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, I think this has lit a big fire under him. The Bears, they're also 2-0. and How? How do you feel? <laughs> I mean, do you think that Trubisky is going to be the starter for the remainder of this season? Do you see Nick Foles coming in at some point? Because Trubisky has this team at 2-0. and Yes, they played the Giants this past week. But, I mean, if you're winning games with Trubisky, you got to stay in. Trubisky is starting to silence his critics a tiny bit, winning games. Do you think this Bears team is going to be back in the playoff picture because they still do have a pretty good defense? Um, Actually, I'm going to say yes. They've actually been fairly impressive. Mitch Trubisky, to me, is kind of like playing golf. You could have the worst round of your life, but you have you know a beautiful putt on 18, and that makes you go back to the golf course. And I feel like that's Mitch Trubisky for Chicago, where he can play an awful game, but they somehow etch out a win and he makes a few nice throws mm-hmm. and not a lot of people are talking about him playing bad. And I feel like that's the theme with Trubisky. They etched out a win the last two weeks. If they can keep doing it, more power to them. And honestly, their schedule, at least for the first couple weeks, isn't that bad. They have a fairly easy schedule this year. Maybe the Bears sneak in the playoffs, but right now I got to see a little more of Mitch before I can bank on him. Well, I mean, right now they're in a good spot because behind them are two 0-2 teams with the Vikings and the Lions. And with the Vikings, Kirk Cousins has looked terrible. Terrible. He has not looked good. He's ranking towards the bottom in almost every starting quarterback statistic with eligible quarterbacks through the first two weeks. And, I mean, what is happening with the Vikings? I had the Vikings as, you know, a top 10 potential finish this season— you know, granted, they were towards the bottom of the list around 9 or 10. But, I mean, this is not the Vikings team that we're accustomed to in the regular season. I mean, I know it's only been two weeks, but Kirk Cousins has not looked good. I mean, do you think that Stephon Diggs leaving has a big impact on how he's playing? Or do you think that this is just an aberration and they'll, you know, kick it into gear eventually? Well, these are a couple guys. Justin Jefferson, um, first game of the season, two for— Two receptions for 26 yards. Irv Smith, one for 11. Yannick Ngakwe, the first week, not a single tackle or any kind of noise made than the other game. And honestly, you can say Kirk played fairly well in that first game against the Packers if you want to go out and say that. But then this week, yeah, this week, three interceptions. Really, really, really bad performance. One of the worst Kirk Cousins performances you can say since he's repped the purple and gold, Justin Jefferson turns it on to an extent for 44 yards and three receptions. But then, once again, Yannick Ngakwe, only two tackles, and he had a sack. I mean, you can say Quinnen Williams for the Jets was playing better than him. And oh, this he is was, a guy. Oh, he was. Yes, he did. <laughs> um, this is a team that we talked about, and particularly me after they got Yannick, that. I thought that this team, I threw away my whole prediction. I thought they could win the division, and it's been fairly embarrassing how bad they performed the past two weeks. Yeah, I mean, they're really disappointing me so far. Um, You know, I expect them to, you know, be a consistent team that's in playoff contention and playoff talks, so we'll see if they can turn it up. I think they will at some point. I mean, I mean, we'll see. 
the Vikings, excuse me, the Lions, they're also 0-2, although they should be 1-1 if you ask me right now, because they should not have let Chicago come back to win that game week one. I mean, that was just another terrible downfall by a team, and I mean, I think, I don't know about you, but I think it's time to start putting Matt Patricia on this hot seat as well as coaches that could get fired before the end of this season. Patricia hasn't really done anything since he's gotten to Detroit. Yes, he didn't have Stafford for a while. Stafford's back now. But if they continue to lose games, I think he's going to be out before this season's over. I mean, how confident are you and Matt Patricia in this team? I'm, I'm guessing you're not very high on him. Um, actually going to refute you a little there. I wasn't... I thought that they should have won the first week easily. And right. I actually... 42-21, to 21, how can you take a loss like that and say... They deserve to win, but first quarter it was fourteen to three. Going into the half, it was seventeen to fourteen. Patricia failed to make adjustments, and they got spanked the rest of the football game. But going into that half, they looked like a good team. So the first six quarters of the season for the Detroit Lions were not bad. If they can get back to that, this is a team that isn't that bad. I don't think they're going to have a good season. I think this is Patricia's last season in Detroit, but. They didn't play that bad. Um, and also, shout out Jeff Okuda. The first two games, it's been underrated, but he's looked very, very good. But I mean, That's than... expected from a top cornerback in the draft. I mean, I, I wanted, yes. you know, in my hopes and dreams, the Jets have Jeff Okuda. I, you know, they need a cornerback. Uh, you know what? Save this for another day. Love Jeff Okuda. <laughs> wanted him on the Jets. Looks great for the Lions. Go ahead, Dylan. But... To conclude here, really, the Lions, it's on Patricia, honestly. I thought that this team isn't that bad, and the personnel they have is really, really not that bad. They do have a decent team, but I think that this is going to all fall on Patricia's shoulders. And kind of speaking on the Vikings and the Lions, you could even say Zimmer may be out after this season based on if they have an awful season, and awful meaning probably for how highly rated they were going to be, 6-10, and 5-11, and 11, these are two vacancies. If I'm a head coach looking for a job next offseason, Detroit's one where I might actually be looking. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be an available coaching spot. Um, I don't know who's going to want to go there, though. We'll see. We'll see who the candidates are. To wrap up here, Dylan, I think we should each give our top, our updated top five power rankings list. For me, I have the Ravens at one. And the Seahawks at two. You said earlier you have the same top two. At three, I have the Chiefs because, you know, reigning Super Bowl champs still undefeated at this point. Four, I have the Packers. Like I said, 40-plus points in each of the first two games. And Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. <laughs> at five, though, five is tough for me because there's a lot of teams that I think could go here. I mean— and I'm going to make a li- – I'm stuck here between – because I love the Cardinals. I think for the first two weeks, the Cardinals have looked like one of the best teams, but the Bills also, and it hurts me to say the Bills, but the Bills and Josh Allen have looked really good. So I, I'm stuck between those two teams for five because the teams I originally had haven't looked great. So you know what? I'm going to go with the Bills, Dylan. Ravens, Seahawks, Chiefs, Packers, Bills. How do you feel? I'm going to stick with you on the top three, and I actually the 
top four as a whole, Ravens, Hawks, Chiefs, Packers. All very, very impressive starts to the season. Number five, though, I mean, Brendan, it's been fun to get back to doing this. I'm going to close out this episode with a bang for at least my top five. I got the New England Patriots. I hate saying it. I hate, I hate it, Brendan. I, we've talked so adamantly this whole episode about how bad the Jets have been, and I hate saying it, but this New England team, yes, Buffalo will probably win the division, and New England will probably sneak in as the wild card, but man, this team kept it up with a team I consider one of the top two in the league, the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. If they can keep up that pace, I don't see New England stopping. I see them as a top five team in football. All right, well, you can find us on Twitter after this long, long episode today. <laughs> you can find me at Brendan Carp ESM and Dylan at Dylan Price 27. You can also check out our articles on the Empire Sports Media website. Thanks for joining us for this long episode of Weeks 1 and 2 Recap. Dylan, it was a fun one today. It was a lot of fun, Brendan. What a way to kick off our season coverage and uh, a marathon episode, but a lot of fun. Absolutely. See you next time. Thank you.